Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me on the program, one of my favorite guests, Mr. Sam Amick of USA Today. On the road with Sam. What's going on, Sammy? James, how are you, my friend? Thanks for having me. I'm good. You were, uh, I, I'm worried. Did you, uh, did you burn your hand on any sparklers today or, or have any like, uh, <laughs> firecrackers go off around you? What in the world are the Warriors doing? <laughs> Man, they went, they went big. I went to that, uh, groundbreaking ceremony for the Chase Center. I mean, I guess if you're going to put the bill for a $1 billion plus venue, it's privately financed. I guess you kind of get to party however you want, right? So they uh, they threw this ceremony, and I'll give you the short version. But you know, we're sitting there inside this tent, thinking that maybe the church choir that started everything off was going to be the most <laughs> unique aspect of it. And really, that I mean, that kind of jumped out at you because. Uh, I mean, I kind of joked on Snapchat that I got to go to church early this week. Uh, I mean, it was a legitimate, I mean, amazing voices, and you know, but a legitimate church choir, and, and those guys are singing, and, and they're coming down the aisle, and I told, uh, I think it was, oh, Ethan Strauss from ESPN was sitting next to me. I said I, I felt bad for not high-fiving the singers as they came down the aisle passing me, <laughs> and it just, it got more grandiose from there. You know, if, if you didn't see it or hear about it, Jump on social media, you will see the synchronized dancing of backhoes, uh, you know, the uh, Cirque du Soleil style acrobats that were dressed as construction workers. It was something else, man. But uh, again, I mean, they're they're trying to go big. They're going to have a, a nice venue in a couple seasons here, but that was quite the event. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've heard that their venue, while it's it's going to be really nice, they don't know if they can match the. Golden One Center because of all of what goes into building in the city and how much extra it costs for everything. What are you hearing about what they're trying to do compared to Golden One Center in Sacramento? What's funny is what I hear is a little bit of like the uh, NorCal business rivalry almost. I think the root of this is kind of this sense from the Warriors side where it's like, you know, Golden One's really nice. They did a really good job. But there's a real quick uh, desire to, to throw a distinction on the Kings Lou Arena, and, and from obviously just from their perspective, where it's like, well, you know, it's, it's such a nice homage to the city of Sacramento and the history of that region. Um, and, and they want to make it very clear that their vision has not only a franchise that has been much more successful recently, but that, you know, as being in San Francisco is obviously just a bigger market, that their vision is, is more global, if you will, and, and their, their uh, kind of the, the, the themes that they will be going with are, 
are supposed to resonate uh, in more corners of the world than the Kings wanted. And it's like, it, it feels like a backhanded compliment because it's, they're, they're saying that, and I know I'm not, I'm not, you know, putting a name on this. This is just a general sense from conversations, but, but it feels like they really think highly of golden one, but you know, they're talking pretty big. Uh, I mean, what you're saying makes sense that maybe they're going to have some obstacles, but you know, location wise, they're in an amazing spot. I mean, it's right down the street from AT&T park today. I literally you know, was just trying to find somewhere to work and it took me, you know, three, five minutes not very long at all to walk down the street to a Starbucks and I could already see AT&T from there. I mean, it's pretty close and, uh, you know, it's near the water. And so that part's going to be great. You got ships in the distance and, and, uh, so the location is going to be great, but I'm curious to see what the building looks like. There we go. Yeah. And it's going to be right down the street from our CSN studios in, in, uh, San Francisco, which is on third and Harrison. So yeah, it should be interesting well, to s- see how it goes up and, yeah, the commute from there won't be bad at all for our camera crews and all of our all of our guys that cover the Warriors full time. So, Sam, let's get to some King I'll stuff. I'll have to come visit more. I always, uh, whenever you guys are nice enough to give me the invite in studio, I I end up declining a lot because it's so tough to get on the other side of the bay. But you know, with there the Warriors is. right there, I'll have to I'll have to come in studio more. See, now you're trying to eat my my TV time, Sammy. I don't know about this. Oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> I wasn't trying to step on your toes there. I, I'm always generous with my TV time. I never care. So so let's get to some Sacramento King stuff, Sam. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone's known for a while that Rudy Gay has no intentions of staying in Sacramento after this season. He's already told the team he's going to opt out. There's very little chance of him re-signing. What does Rock Nation have to do with this whole entire sort of, you know, sort of story that is being told about Rudy and and what his future could hold in the NBA. I mean, it's always a uh, you know it's always worth noting when a guy changes agencies. And Rudy was previously with Octagon, and coincidentally, I ran into Jeff Austin today, who was Rudy's former agent, one of his former agents, the, the lead agent for Octagon. Mm-hmm. Also represents Steph Curry, so Rudy leaves. Octagon goes to Rock Nation. Uh, I still don't know. I mean, listen, Rock Nation in general terms, not specifically with Rudy, but they, they've grown. They have Kevin Durant. They've got some other guys. They added Ty Lawson as well. And they are, uh, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, I don't know what their identity is yet as an agency. Like, if you talk about Dan Fagan, who's represented DeMarcus Cousins for a long time, his identity for a lot of his career has been extremely aggressive when it comes to trying to, you know, if he has players that would like to play elsewhere or, you know, he's not afraid to, to, to represent uh, in, a, in a tough way for his clients. So you have an identity. Rock Nation's identity is still growing and it's still evolving. And I don't know how to put my finger on that. That's a long winded way of saying, I really don't know, man. Like, you know, I think it means that, that, you know, that Rudy uh, obviously just wanted a change of, Change, you know, to change gears going into this trade deadline, um, I, I don't know what to make of one subplot here, which is, I don't want to make too much of this, but I, you know, I had some folks on the Oklahoma City side insinuate to me that the idea that Rudy went with the same agency that has Kevin Durant would be a little bit of a turnoff for the Thunder and a potential Thunder Kings deal that they just have a bad taste in their mouth 
having lost Kevin in free agency and the part the Rock Nation played in that. And so, you know, I found that kind of interesting. Um, more recently, you know, I felt like the, the more likely scenario was a Miami situation, possibly with a Goran Dragic type deal as the Kings try to upgrade the point guard spot. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We obviously still have some time here before the deadline. Now, what do you think his value is on the open market? Because as of right now, I mean, he's he still can score. He he can still do a few things. He's not a horrible defender. He he can move the ball. He can rebound a little bit. But he's not a hot commodity. He's not what everyone is after right now. And his record, you know, his inability to win has to come into play a little bit. Do you think he has value out on the main uh, on the market, or do you think he has more value maybe as someone who wants to drop? you know, the remaining 40 million owed to a guy like Goran Dragic. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got value, but it's just, it's, it's diminishing returns for anybody coming after him because he's obviously going to be up this summer. So you have uncertainty and it's a rental situation and chances are, you know, I mean, unless he, I don't even know what the example would be, but it's not going to be a situation where he's sitting there telling him, Hey, that, that I definitely am going to resign or be if you want him to, you know, I mean, he's one of those players that you would want to see him in your environment, see how it goes before deciding if you wanted to sign up with him long-term, especially under this CBA. So the, the value is there to an extent. I just don't know what that price tag is and uh, fatigue is kicking in Mr. Ham. So you're going to have to throw that other question at me as I uh, lose my marbles here. That's right. All right. So, <laughs> So you've got what was that? No, I just forgot part of that question. What was the other? You had another wrinkle there that I forgot about. Well, no, I think it's it's just that you know what it, exactly is his market value, or is it as an expiring contract for a team that might want to move a long term player that that maybe doesn't fit the future of their team, like Goran Dragic, who's you know thirty going on thirty one and, and doesn't yeah. fit a long time future in Miami. I mean, because there are other players around the league that are in similar situations that team might just want to blow it up. And the fact that you get Rudy Gay and he can opt out and then you can either try to resign him or part ways with him. It kind of gives you some flexibility. Right. Right. No, I agree. Um, And I just think the bigger backdrop here also is, and I talked to a GM about this the other day about the Kings is just, you know, it's so enticing to try to get that eighth spot, and I get it, and, and nobody knows the history better than I do, and, and that that desire to get back in the playoffs. But, you know, it's just the key question in the fork of the road for Vladi Divac and that group is what are you fighting for with this roster? What are you, what are you building toward? Um, because, you know, they just – they are cash-strapped. They are asset-strapped. And, uh, you know, with Rudy – the idea that you would forge ahead trying to, to get assets in return to help you get into the playoffs, I think in some people's opinions might be extremely ill-advised as opposed to simply pursuing the kind of assets that help you as far as building, whether it's getting your hands on a pick for Rudy, which would be nice, uh, or some of that nature. So we'll see. Okay, okay. So I guess one of the bigger questions out there is always going to come back to Vlade Divac, and does he, I mean, uh, we've heard in the past he doesn't pick up the phone, uh, but what are you hearing about opposing general managers when when they're going into conversations with Vlade? Has it improved? Is it something that they think is workable? 
I mean, where are you sort of at with Vlade as the GM of the Sacramento Kings right now? Um, I don't have a ton of insight there. I'm just going to be honest with you. Other than to say, I think if it was a complete train wreck, we would hear about it more often uh, as far as communication goes. And, and that stuff matters. I think what you're alluding to is the fact that there have been times, and especially in the beginning of Vlade's tenure, when people felt like, you know, he was non-responsive. And this is a communication business. This is uh, a business where guys like Daryl Morey of the Rockets who work the phone, I mean, you know, folks have their own criticisms of a guy like Daryl, but communication in terms of volume is not one. He is very communicative. Uh, other guys out there, too. I mean, Dave Griffin's done a really nice job with the Cavs uh, last couple of years, and, and he's another communicative guy. So, uh, I don't have anybody telling me that they, they can't track Vladi down. I, I still doubt that he is, you know, in the, the realm of those other guys and and that he's working the phones nonstop. But, I, you know, I've never known what the best style is when it comes to executives because there were times when you look at a guy like Jeff Petrie from back in the day. And, and Jeff, I think in the you know later part of the tenure, wasn't necessarily working the phones all the time. But he had relationships, and, you know, so I never know how to cut that cloth. But, uh, you know, we'll see, man. I feel like the other thing with Vladi is that, you know, and you might have a better read on this than I do, is just, you know, what level of pressure, if any, is there on him right now? He's officially been in that position, I think, long enough to to have the, the walls close in a little bit just because of the last, lack of success. And, and I think going forward, it, it's probably getting to that point and I'm not talking about anything imminent whatsoever, but just getting to that point where you, you monitor a situation and, and every move that he makes matters as far as his long-term future with the King. Well, and I think the biggest question you have there too is, does he have carte blanche to make whatever move that he wants? And I mean, we've, yeah, no seen, doubt. we've seen the the conversation that it does look like that DeMarcus Cousins is going to stick around long-term. And, and then you have to wonder after that, what assets to do the Kings have? If you're sitting here, I don't know, what is it, four weeks before the trade deadline, do the Kings have any assets to go get a piece to make them better? Or should they be in, you know, maybe dealing a veteran or two to get a little bit more long-term stability, long-term depth? I mean, it's it's sort of a convoluted, like, this roster is strange. It's very odd. It's very odd. I mean, I saw the news today that Omri Cassidy is going to be out for a week or two, you know, injuries with a guy that might have some value on the market around trade deadline time are never good because they just kind of put water on the fire. Darren Tolleson's a guy that comes to mind. And again, we're talking about the smaller pieces on the roster, but Darren I find interesting because you could rent him for a couple million dollars. He's 5.2 for the year. You're, you know, at that point you're going to be more than halfway through the season. So, pretty affordable for a veteran who, if you're a playoff contender, can come in and who the heck knows, man. I mean, he's a talented enough guy that maybe you wind up seeing him win a playoff game for you, uh, you know, and with a pretty reasonable cost because he's also going into his free agency year. So they've got little things they can do. It's just, again, it's I feel like it's Groundhog Day. We talk about the big picture, and I don't know how they do it because anything short of trading cousins and, and, you know, and then you've got to be able to tell me what kind of package you're talking about coming back in return. Anything short of that, I, I don't know how they, they alter course here. You know what I mean? I don't know how mm-hmm. they 
reinvent what they have going on. It just it feels like it's going to be a different version of the same story we've had the last couple seasons. All right, Sam, I know you've got a busy day. You've had a long day. You've, you've already seen the circus and, and dancing backos. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> do you expect that the Kings like, to... That's a good band name. Yeah, the, the dancing, dancing backos. backos. Yeah, there it is. I, I, I guess the T-shirts might be like inappropriate in some way. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to capture, uh, three backos spinning in unison with their, their buckets extended. I mean, it's, it's tough to capture that in a t-shirt form, I guess. Uh, but Sam, do you, do you think the Kings are going to be aggressive and, and do you expect to see something different with this roster, uh, before the February 23rd deadline? Yeah. I mean, I feel like they got to find something for Rudy. Uh, maybe I'll be surprised or maybe they don't. You know, I think that's the big one. And, you know, from there, I don't know. I mean, again, I mentioned some of the smaller – I feel like, James, who am I leaving out? I mean, who for you – what's your top three list of, of trade candidates beyond Rudy? Who are you looking at on that roster? Well, I don't know. I think they have some interesting pieces because you could take on a Anthony Tolliver or a Aaron Aflalo knowing that you're getting a $12.5 million salary or an $8.5 million salary – but with a $2 million buyout or a million and a half buyout for next season. So those pieces right. kind of look appealing. I mean, the Kings could come up with 30 something million dollars of expiring contracts without even batting an eye. And then they still have a guy like Costa Kufis who, you know, Houston was very interested in earlier. And I think he could really help a lot of playoff teams as a backup big, you know, I think they've got even some young pieces. If someone might go, you know, Ben mclemore has been mishandled there. I, I, we might be able to do something with him, and he's cheap enough next year where we can just, uh, you know, extend the qualifying offer. Or Willie Cauley-Stein, or one of the the three rookies that they drafted. Someone goes, you know, they don't have a first round pick, but they've got three guys who were drafted in the first round. Maybe one of those guys looks okay with us, and we can work with him. So I, I really don't know though what they have outside of something massive, and it doesn't look like they're doing something massive with Cousins. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree on the latter point. And, you know, the expiring point that you made, uh, unfortunately for them, because of the spike in the salary cap, it's just not as appealing as it used to be. There was a time not that long ago when the idea of being able to clear that kind of space would be appealing to a lot of cash-strapped teams. And, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe there is some hope on that front. I mean, this is going to be, this is year two of the salary cap spike. Some are coming up, so they're, I think there's, you know, there's this huge, enormous gap between where payrolls were before and what the cap had become last summer. We saw the spending spree that you know, that took place as a result. This summer is just not going to be the same. That bridge has been gapped, or the gap is in the bridge, rather. Um, so the space, as far as expirings, is not as appealing. So we'll see, man. Uh, it's been quieter than I thought it would be. We have not seen much action. And, uh, you know, again, we got time, though. We'll see. All right. Well, I think we're going to see a little bit of fireworks coming up here soon. Thanks for joining us so much, Sam. I know you've had a busy, long day. Uh, glad you made it home safe. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Sorry, next time I'll, I'll give you the more lively, uh, you know, spectacle-esque performance just like I saw today down in San Fran. But thanks for having me. That's right. You just make stuff up next time. It's fine. all right the great sam amick of usa today thanks for joining us sam all right james be good 
Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. Baby, what's happening? Not much, man. How you doing? I'm good. You know, a little tired. A little tired. I got to be honest. Uh, it, this one in, in five homestand has not been kind or gentle. And people that don't know this, but they usually have practice between every day. So when the Kings are at home, that means you're, you know, driving to Sacramento every single day of your life, living at the arena, basically. I think they, they have a cot put up in the back for me. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a uh, kind of a, a weird, funky homestand that doesn't really feel all that good. And, uh, you know, the Kings finish it off on Wednesday night against the Indiana Pacers, and that should be entertaining. Um, let's see, we got a couple of business items to take care of. Uh, first and foremost... For those of you who missed last week, we had Garrett Temple on. Garrett Temple was is absolutely spectacular. Such a a bright and shiny uh, star for the the Kings behind the scenes. He's he's just become so much more than I think what the Kings even envisioned when they got him. Not just as a player, but as an actual uh, locker room person. And uh, so make sure you you tune in and listen to last week's episode. Um, secondly, uh, the we've got a lot of basketball to talk about and uh you know we we brought sam amick on in the first half to talk about trades and stuff like that the potential and and of course rudy gay and rock nation and all those things but uh you know there's just so much to cover here aaron where should we start where should we start with the uh the one in five homestand I guess so. I mean, you, you look at the, the schedule, whether we're talking two weeks ago, looking ahead or looking now back, it's just a tough, tough part of their schedule. You know, the Clippers, the the Warriors, obviously, the Cavs and then the Thunder um, winnable game. And, and I think that the Kings match up decently with them. Um, but in all of these games, they're in it. It's close. Um, maybe not the Warriors game so much. And maybe not the Cavs game so much, but you know what? They they put up a fight, and there's just these kind of still the obvious flaws that are not being addressed, um, whether it's X's and O's or, you know, just the way that these guys are playing. So I think it's been a lot of running in quicksand for this team, but it was also expected. I don't think I looked at this stretch of games for them and said, oh, you know, they're going to go 500 during this stretch. I think that this has been what we thought it would be. And, and this is the reason why you win the games that you, you should win um, early in the year. And I don't think it's getting any easier here in the next couple of weeks either. So they're going to have to fight and, and try to get some wins. Yeah. They have the eight game road trip coming up, which we've highlighted multiple times, three back to backs and an eight game stretch. But of the games, I think there's only one that you look at and say, okay, they're not going to beat the Cavs. Everyone else in this, in on the road trip is, it's not a 50-50 proposition, but there's probably three games that you should win and another two or three that you can win and then one or two that are like scheduled losses. I mean, the Houston the Houston game at the end of the trip is a is a scheduled loss and uh, the Cavs game is going to be a scheduled loss. So those are going to be really tough. You know, Aaron, you brought up sort of the uh, the the schedule and expectations and things like that. And I asked Dave Yeager about sort of their struggles. And uh, yesterday I practiced on, on, let's see, what is today? Uh, on Monday I practice, And uh, and he had an answer that I thought was 
was it kind of caught me off guard but uh and we don't usually do this but i'm going to play audio of that right now and we're going to sit here and listen to it and uh and then we'll we'll discuss accordingly you ready for this aaron i am ready let's do some audio is it surprising to you that you're still only a game out of the eight spot despite the struggles you think we've been struggling i think golden state and Cleveland are, are, are pretty good teams, and I think when you look at a look at a, a long home stand, you know you try to say, okay, well, um, can we beat somebody that we're supposedly not supposed to beat? You know, according to whatever you know, Vegas or whatever experts are out there, and and then if you can if you get beat by a team who supposedly by the experts is not supposed to beat you, you know, and so. I think we're, you know, favored in, De- in Detroit and Miami, um, and not any of the other ones. And, and uh, you know, Miami got us twice this year, so uh, you know, hats off to them. And just one of those things, I guess. But you know, you, you hope that you can pick off some of those, especially at home. You want to, you know, knock off a, a team that's favored to beat you or ahead of you in the standings. And uh, you know, that's uh, that's been difficult. And it just is what it is, and you just got to keep going. All right, Aaron, your thoughts. Vegas says they should have lost most of those games, so it is what it is. You know, there, there's coaches deal with media in, in different ways. You know, some of them are very open and transparent, and they will kind of, um, you know, Stan Van Gundy comes to mind where they'll talk about their warts and they'll, you know, be very honest and they want to maintain that credibility with the listener and, you know, to they'll, they'll basically break down their team for you. And then there's others that are going to constantly reframe Ah, uh, the discussion and and try to put on the best face that they can. and And that's just two different ways of doing business. And I don't know that one way is necessarily more appropriate than the other. But you know, anybody that's got a a trained basketball eye can see that there are elements of their game that they're struggling with. There are decisions that are being made during the game that are not great basketball decisions strategically and otherwise. And, um, you know, issues involving whether you're talking effort or even just the mental approach to the game where there's been a sort of lack of development. And that's not to say that there's these are all negatives for the Kings. Um, There's a lot of positives for the Kings as far as their development goes as well. But, um, you know, I think that's just the way that he chooses to handle that. And, um, you know, you do want to see forward steps in in a lot of key areas, Um, you know, primarily. I think that the team's uh, attitude during crunch time and, and the way that they execute and the way that, you know, there's been a lot of discussion this week about uh, officials and how they influence the game and, and what they do to the Kings as far as their mentality goes. You want to see them taking steps forward. And you see, uh, you know, players like Matt Barnes, who's struggled as, as much as anybody in the NBA this season. And, um, you know, his ability to, to get a technical at a key moment late in the game after impacting the game in ways, you know, I've been as big a Matt Barnes guy as, as there has been for the last couple of years. Um, you know, seeing the backward steps that he's taking as a, as a player, you know, there's there's no shortage of examples, I think, of players and teams, or probably players on this team struggling. And so uh, I think with with uh, Dave Yeager, he's he's trying to put a good face on this. Um, you know, I would I would definitely say that this team is struggling. It's not that hard to see. I mean, Miami was, was shorthanded. Uh, the Clippers are shorthanded. Um, you know, the Cavs and Warriors, you know, they're, they're 
not putting their best foot forward in these games. They're coasting. And, and yeah, yeah, they're coasting. They're not. They, they they are what they are. If anything, Detroit, I thought, played pretty dang well and matches up pretty well with the uh, Kings. And for the Kings to play three terrible quarters and to get back in the fourth quarter and win that thing was no, nothing short of a miracle. Um, they're 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 not playing up to expectations. And I think that, um, you know, the hope I think is that in the background that Dave Yeager is saying one thing to the press and then he's turning around and saying to the guys, these are the things that we're not doing well. But I do have to question, you know, if Matt Barnes is going to be able to struggle as much as he has struggled this year and continue to get minutes, you know, what type of message is that sending the team in terms of development? Are there other reasons at play that Matt Barnes gets minutes? Is it because he's a locker room voice? Is it because that DeMarcus Cousins is comfortable with him? You know, are there other reasons? Because on the basketball floor, if you have spent maybe one year critically evaluating film, it, it's very easy and obvious to see that he's probably out of place in, a, in, in at least half of the plays that he's on the floor for or making some sort of critical mistake for about half of the plays that he's on the floor for. So, uh, yeah, they're struggling. And, and I do think that they need to figure out are there different combinations of players? Is there a different approach that needs to be taken? So, so Matt can get out of his his funk. I mean, you cannot have him getting a technical late in the game after an entire game's worth of mistakes being made and then turn and say to somebody like Omri Caspi or, or player X, say, this is why you're not playing or or whatever your, your, your pitch to them may be. So I think that's the type of improvement that Kings fans are probably looking to see. All right, so I'm going to take the, the first thing that, I'm going to get back to Barnes in just a minute, but the Jaeger statement, I mean, I, I get what he's saying and I do look at the schedule and I know that the schedule isn't, you know, it's not great, but in all six of the games, they've trailed by 14 or more, all six of them, they've fallen behind in every single game. And I'm going to point out the fallacy of saying, well, the odds makers say we should lose games. The odds makers say you should lose games because you have a history of losing games. Because your record dictates that you should lose games. And so you it's like a chicken or the egg situation. You can't say, well, we're predicted to lose games because we always lose games. I mean, that's, that's not the way it goes. I mean, you're at home. And, and the fact that you don't have, you're not favored to beat an OKC okc team uh in in that you know that's not because they're so great and you're horrible it's because you've had a history of losing and your record dictates that the the odds should be what they are i mean for every home win you get like a plus three so that means it really okc was favored to win by five in that game because the game was actually came down to a two-point spread uh, and OKC was picked to win by two because you're at home and you get that three extra points. So, I, I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I would take it to a granular level, though, is is if you're looking at film on this stuff, how are you are your are, you, are your post entry passes crisp? Are, are you taking advantage of two for one opportunities at the end of the games? Are, are you able to um, identify that the opposing team has weakness x y and z or strength x y and z and then neutralize or um, take advantage of the situation you know appropriately are you you know you, you have russell westbrook 
Um, and you have a, a, Russell, a Russell Westbrook slower downer in Garrett Temple. Are you going to put him on that? You know, are you going to have Temple cover him? Are you going to have the whole fourth quarter? And, and are you going to have Jaeger's answer it, to why he sat in the fourth quarter was because I played him a lot of minutes lately and he needed to rest. And then Garrett Temple's answer was probably something along the lines of "I'm not tired." And Garrett Temple's and I don't never get tired. tired. His body is literally a temple. He takes care of himself as well as any player in the league. He's the, absolute... the list of strategic blunders, if you will, are, are, are actually it's quite long. I think that in this in this situation, though, you know, uh, it, it does come back to how he's going to paint it with the public, and um, you know, I think it would probably serve him better to to actually just, you know, kind of maybe stop with the pushback so much, and and really to just kind of focus in on. On, on the ways that they can improve. I mean, if, if you if you watch film for any sort of uh, amount of time, Matt Barnes shouldn't be on the floor. Like it's it's I'm not, not even gonna close. I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree. It's not. And it, it's not close. And the OKC game. I mean, first of all, whether they should have been in that game or not as a whole, you know, that's that's a different question. But there was a point in the mid fourth quarter where he missed a layup on one end got angry about missing said layup on the et- and, and on the other end gave up a three-pointer uh and then got called for a tech and so you went from a six-point game that could have gone to a two uh, a four-point game all the way up to a 10-point game and at that moment it's game over i mean you come back and you get it down to three with like 25 points something left but you already lost the game you already clawed your way back from 17 and then dug yourself another 10-point hole out of nowhere. And you just can't keep doing this. And, well, and let's talk about the Miami game. I mean, in Miami, or versus Miami, they don't have a player taller than James Johnson. You, know, you got they don't destroyed have, by James Johnson. Yeah. You, you, there, there's certain things that, you know, you can have a fascination with spacing, and many coaches do. It's not just Jaeger or George Carl or anybody else out there. To play your big man up at the elbow is very in vogue in today's NBA. It creates a lot of spacing, et cetera. But when you have a 300-pound skilled behemoth, you should be able to execute simple post passes and you should be able to execute simple cross-court you know, skip passes if you get double-teamed or whatever kind of combination of passes you need to get out of a double-team. These are things that you need to work on in practice. These are things that you have to be good at if you're at the NBA level. And if a team is not then you have to really look at why they're not. Is this something they're not working on in practice? Is this something that players aren't bought into? Is it a system issue? Is it one of these things where you say, you know, because we, we like you all over the place, so don't necessarily focus in on that post because the only way you get bad at this stuff is if you don't work on it. You know, teams have been entering the ball in the post since it was a peach basket. You know, it's, it's a simple part of the basketball game. And, and, and to co- overcomplicate it is just to mean that you haven't worked on it. And that, you know, so strategically, there are issues that kind of, um, you know, beg the question of w- what is the decision making for certain, um, you know, rotation decisions such as Barnes. But even like, you know, you're playing Cleveland, right? They have a couple offensive engines. You know, LeBron James, you're going to have no answer for. That's obvious. You, know, you just hope Rudy Gay can stand in the way and make him do stuff. And he did well. But Kyrie Irving, he actually did well. You, you, you have, 
I mean, yeah, Rudy Gay did I, well against LeBron. I mean, statistically, yeah, I mean, well, because LeBron he, had a rough he, I mean, night. He played well. There's certain size speed profiles that are going to be better than others, and Rudy just happens to fit in that narrow definition of, of mm-hmm. somebody that might get in the way of LeBron James. But with Garrett Temple, he has now shut down every elite offensive player he has played against. It's, it's something to behold. It's, it's really fun to watch. Um, you get Kyrie Irving in town. And you have a choice. You could go with Darren Collison, who's struggling in almost every facet of the game right now. Or you could go with your stopper, but instead you put your stopper on Iman Shumpert, who really just is, is a guy. You know, he, he's not in the league to be anything more than just a guy. But he lit them and, up. And that, that's the kind of, <laughs> what's that? He lit them up. I mean, he hit all those threes. Him and Corver both lit them up from three. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, there yeah, there had to be a point it's a strategic where strategic decision. <laughs> yeah, you needed Kyrie being locked down by Garrett Temple as much as possible, and and that is your your only option to shut down. Well, there's been a hesitancy to play Garrett Temple all year long, and it these are the questions that I have as you know just just a guy is you know if I can see it, you know what why, why, why can't the Kings see it, and is there um, you know. It, is he sticking with his guys? Because if so, that 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 can be totally legit. You know, you're gonna pick a, you're gonna pick somebody. You're gonna go to war with me and say, Matt Barnes, I'm going to war with you. You know, we're connected at the hip, and um, you know, to hell or high water, we're gonna make this work, and we're gonna live with the results. That's fine, but yeah, you're struggling, and I think that you know these games are gonna be tough games. You look at Indiana is actually a winnable game. This is a team that just got blown out by Denver. They're they're struggling. They have depth issues. Um, they do have talent, but they they have depth issues. Winnable game. Um, the Grizzlies have a lot of holes in their roster. Um, you know the two teams know each other very well. Probably a winnable game. I think the Bulls split, right? struggling. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and the Bulls struggling. Yep. Um, winnable game. Detroit matches up really well with the Kings. I don't like their chances. Um, I don't know how they won the last game. Uh, Cleveland, you're not going to win that one. Indiana, another winnable game. Yeah, but Detroit, Detroit has scuffled all season long. I mean, Detroit's well under 500. They, I mean, they, Stan Van Gundy's they, got a, a they match up really team. well though. They they just match up well. You got Reggie Jackson and 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 he can handle Darren Collison. You got Ish Smith can handle Ty Lawson. Contavious Caldwell Pope is a really underrated player. Aaron he, Bain. He, Always plays tough against DeMarcus. Always. Yeah, absolutely. They got three of those guys that can bang with DeMarcus. That's the biggest one. And, and here's another sign of a team that's not developed. DeMarcus Cousins does not need to be dribbling the basketball to be effective. And his effectiveness with a dribble or two or five or ten, it goes down exponentially. And the team still turns to him in those positions and says, go get offense. And against a guy like Andre Drummond, he's just not going to beat him. He can't get an edge on him, and he can't bump him off a line. So, you know, if you see that happening in a game, the question becomes, well, why why is this, you know, not discussed in film? Why Maybe it is. Who knows? But the improvement on the floor is not manifesting itself in, into better decisions. Though I will say this, the, once every three three games or so, and it seems when they, they want to play kind of up to the level of their competition or 
maybe they just get it that particular game <clears throat> when they run through the post and you hear Doug, Doug's going crazy on the telecast. When they play through the post and start whipping the ball around and, and they get into a rhythm offensively off playing off of DeMarcus cousins, everybody gets a lot of easy shots and then they start making shots. It's this amazingly, you know, complex thing was boiled down into a made bucket. You know they, what they though? Just... I've seen those moments and then I see those moments get killed when someone misses a wide open jumper and it's it it almost like they're in a trance doing this magical thing that they're not used to doing and you watch the ball just boom 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 and you're like holy cow look at this. But that's okay. People and are then, gonna miss. But it snaps People... them as soon as someone misses, then it's like ah oh, I gotta get that back. And and it becomes hero ball for someone else. And so I, hey man, I agree with you. Like get him in the post, do it, do your damage. He's taken a lot of abuse, honestly. He dishes out a lot of abuse, but he's also taken a lot of abuse, and that wears on you, wears on your body. And, but I think we both can agree that I kind of like the starting lineup right now. I, I'm okay oh, with they... Anthony Tolliver at the four. I don't think he's done anything wrong. I think he's done plenty right with being able to stretch the defense. I like Garrett Temple at the two. And I, there's one other thing that, that really stuck out to me talking to Demarcus over the last like week and a half because they've been in here, they've been in town for so long, is that he has to change the way he plays dramatically when he's playing with Darren Collison versus Ty Lawson. And that's not something that, I mean, because you look at them, they're both kind of speed guys. And he says, no, when, when I play with Collison, I'm looking to get Collison open when I'm playing with Ty I'm looking to get open. I'm looking for Ty to create for me. So he's like, I'm trying to create for Darren to get him his shot. And I'm trying to create for, uh, and when Ty's in, he's creating for me. And so I'm trying to look for something different. So the dynamic of the two point guards, I think actually does play into this more than you would, you would think because you have two guys that, I mean, on paper, they kind of do some of the same things, except for uh, Lawson is a lot more, of a creator and Collison can can shoot from the perimeter, but I yeah, see I think Col- the switch. The switch is kind of broken because Collis because uh, Cousins doesn't quite know. He it takes him a little while to register and go. Okay, I need to do this in order to help this player get better, or in order to get myself better looks. And it it takes too long, so we waste two or three minutes every time in the transition between the two players. Absolutely. I mean, and Darren Collison has been lost for, you know, basically most of the season. And this boils down to playing with Costa Cufas in the starting lineup for all those games. It really created a a, a situation where Collison struggled and he, he started to try to adapt to that style of play. And and now you've got a different lineup and, and that's going to come with its own unique set of challenges. He's a guy that plays a lot of pick and roll that needs pick and roll to be effective offensively. He doesn't have the tightest handle. And so if he's going to beat a guy, um, you know, it, there's got to be a kind of a special circumstance involved where the guy is a little bit slow afoot. Um, you know, there's a lot of spacing on the floor, so he has room to operate, but otherwise he's playing off of other guys. He's playing off a screen. He's playing off of a, a drive and kick type of a situation. And those are the, the ways that he can bring his offensive game to the table. Now, Maybe he gets more comfortable after the Kings get this new offensive lineup or probably a new starting group uh, acclimated with each other. And I think that will actually be the case because the Kufus the thing was, was obviously not working. Um, and 
and I, I just think that you give it more than five games before you put it to bed and say that it's not going to work. Um, and then Lawson, you know, he's just been the turnaround in his game from the first five games to, you know, coming off the bench and the defense that he provides, um, you know, you, you got to just tip your cap to him mm-hmm. because I, I know I was basically, you know, calling him a backup and 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 saying that I didn't think that he had it in him this year. Um, he's totally, completely, you know, complete 180 on that front. And you you got you've got the the makings of a team that can actually compete, and they've competed all year. They they real realistically, if you could almost, there's one thing with each Kings team. It feels like you could do you could pull the plug on on one guy, and and move the needle on the wins by like three, four, five wins. With Barnes, I think you could probably have seen a number of these games go a different way, and. Um, they have the makings of a strong lineup, whether you want to have Lawson with the starting group or not, whether you want to have Collison with the starting group or not. I think your your guard slot's taken care of. Temple's obviously taking care of his his job there. I think you could even put Malachi Richardson into that mix and see what you get out of him. Um, but up and down the lineup, once you throw Tolliver in with the starting group, I think you've solidified your four. And um, they, 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 they can, I think, compete and win with this group and I think that's also at the core of why I think Kings fans are frustrated with the performance of this group is they see them playing very poor and still in these games. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the problem, right? You see, it's, it's almost like you see something that looks good and then all of a sudden it goes away. And so the whole time you're like, but but wait, they, they were able to do this and now they can't, they can't get out of their own way. Say this, like Collison... Um, he had a stretch of games where he was absolutely struggling. I mean, we we talked about it. I, I even wrote about it. Um, he had a stretch where over eight games he had he had two games where he scored in double figures, and it was eleven points and, and ten points. He had a three point game. He had a two point game. Um, he was really really struggling. But in the last eight games, he's over double figures in all but one of those. And the one game was against Detroit, and even in that game, he ran a plus-minus, a plus-six. And, and he had nine points, and he played well. Um, I think that they're, you're watching all of these guys kind of take turns succeeding. And no one's been able to succeed at the same time. I'll even say this. If you really break it down, I almost guarantee you that the one guy that sticks out as the Kings win and lose by this player... It's not Temple, it's not Lawson or Collison, it's not Cousins or Gay, it's Aaron Aflalo. And every time Aaron Aflalo has a good game, the Sacramento Kings win. They need that fourth or fifth scorer to come in and actually give them something off the bench. And I can kind of see now, this is why Jaeger was so reluctant to put to put Aflalo, I mean to put Garrett Temple in the starting lineup because he was... He's concerned that he's not going to get anything consistent. And, you know, it's a big issue. I mean, again, over the last five games where the Kings are struggling. But um, he's depl- But the, the hard part with this is you cannot expect a team with no playmakers to score buckets. Like, and, and to say that Garrett Temple is like the, the straw that makes the, what is it, the, <laughs> that stirs the drink. I, I mean, he's, he's good on offense, don't get me wrong, but he's not... You know, well, he doesn't tilting. hurt you offensively. 
Exactly. He's not tilting the equation, though. Yeah, and, yeah. And so you, if you're going to run a second unit out there, I mean, Ty Lawson's a great start to, to work with, but you have to have somebody that's confident enough to take shots, whether that's Rudy Gay, whether that's DeMarcus Cousins, or Malachi Richardson, somebody that can, <laughs> can shake free. Don't even say his and, name. <laughs> I, well, I... I Listen, I mean, somebody that can get their own shot because a Flalo can't get his own shot. Rudy can barely get his own shot. Rudy, since he has returned, has taken, I want to say something like 80% of his shots have been the type where he's made a decision. He's going to go with it. He's going to, he's going to go into his offensive move, Yep. but he does not have a plan when he's not open. He hasn't gotten an advantage on his defender. So what he's going to take are these shots where you're all in. You're, it's a kamikaze shot where you're going all in, saying I'm going to go, and you, you know, hopefully this works out. And that hasn't worked. Um, and I don't know why that's been the case. Probably, um, I, I, he seemed to have a little bit more bounce early on in the year, but um, you know, not not a significant change there. You got to have somebody in that second unit that can. So my point is, you got to stagger. You got to either put one of those two, Rudy Gay or Demarcus Cousins, with the second unit, or you're going to have to introduce playmaking in some other way, shape, or form. And I do think you could do that with either Garrett Temple or Malachi Richardson, and tilt the scales, or an Omri Caspi, and and put more scoring with that unit. Because you're right, absolutely. If you if you pull Garrett Temple out of that unit, and then all of a sudden you're running with, you know, I mean, who, who's it been? Lawson, it's been Lawson, Barnes, Aflalo. Yeah. You don't uh, have to cover anybody. And Kufus. No. You, you don't have to cover any. It's a bad lineup. And, but there, but the uh, bench hasn't really been the issue. Uh, you know what I mean? So Well, I, it hasn't been the issue when you had Garrett Temple back there. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just really hard to point a finger and say, you know, you're doing this wrong. And the one thing I look at is I feel like we've got to that point in the season where some of the guys have started to look at this and say, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs. And first of all, that's a huge, huge, like, you're in it. I mean, this is, the race for the eight spot is probably, like, I it's it's a one-legged ass-kicking contest. You know what I mean? It, it, is, it doesn't make any sense how bad these teams are. All of them. All of them are grouped together and they're huddled up and they're letting like four or more buddies like join. Hey, hey, Lakers, you want to join the fray? We're, we're all bad. You know, hey, sons, you got 13 you know wins. What, We've only got What's 16. Crazy? It's they shouldn't. I, I don't think that I, I, I don't know. I would love to see somebody prove me wrong on this stuff. Like just go with the, you know, go with a, a simplified post offense where you do still run the, the high post. and you, you just, you know, you know what your bread and butter is and you go to it and then you base everything off of that. And then you make these lineup tweaks. I feel like the Kings, it's just like leaving money on the table every single night. They could be an over 500 team. It To me, it's not that hard to see. Um, but you, you have to make you have to make some key decisions. You have to say, OK, hey, DeMarcus, you know, it's great that you can dribble. And, and we would love to develop that part of your game, but we need you to be down here. We need to base our offense off of this and and get everybody good at making these cuts, making these reads, making these passes, 
get an offensive identity. Every time they get in some sort of trouble, they completely lose their identity, and that creates bad defense. They've been and, working and, on and it. And then in practice, they, they do. I've they watched. show like they show elements of it, yeah. like against Minnesota. I want to say in Minnesota, that some of the like their offense. People were like, I don't even know who these guys are because the <laughs> ball never touched the floor. They just whipped it around and got a bunch of open shots, and it was really aesthetically pleasing to watch. And then just play the right guys. Yeah. I, I, somebody you know, shut me up, prove me wrong. And, 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 you know, if they keep losing under those circumstances, I'll shut up. But <laughs> Aaron, you know, Aaron, they're not going to do Aaron will gonna do shut it. up so if, I, you, if, <laughs> if you prove him wrong. He has already proven that day he will Look, not shut up. How much up. more he, motivation do you you, do you people? <laughs> you people. You people. Uh, how much motivation do you need? Yeah. Uh, okay, so a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to say uh, the point I was getting to earlier about the. it seems like some of the guys have given up on the fact that they could actually be a playoff team. And I'm not saying that they should be going for the playoffs, so they shouldn't be. I mean, again, they're only a half game out. That's my point. But I'm starting to see a couple of guys go, ah, I'm a free agent at the end of the year, and I need to score buckets. And that's when things really go bad. Uh, when you see guys that start to have an ulterior motive to their game, and that is the almighty dollar. And, uh, and then the other thing, I'm going to point out is that be it cousins or a couple other guys on this team, they have to start living in the moment and look at each play as an individual moment. Forget the refs, forget everything else, get back, go do your thing. Because what I keep seeing is a here we go again mentality. And that is you go into the po- the post you get fouled, they don't call it, you throw up something, they gets blocked, it goes the other direction, they score a basket, they come right back to you the next play, and you're still angry, and you force another basket, you force another shot, and then boom, you get out, you lose the ball again, it goes the other way, and now you're like flaming mad, but it it's the lack of accountability on each individual play. And the Kings are notorious now for getting just dominated on the fast break. And it's a lot of this. It's a lot of the same thing. You lose the ball in bad possessions and it goes the other way quickly and you give up an easy basket. And then it starts to snowball. And I think that this can be stopped a couple of different ways. Number one, mentally you have to be tougher and you have to actually like take a snapshot and say, okay, that play is over. Let me archive it and just forget about it and then move on to the next play. But I would also like to see a timeout here and there that stops the momentum of a game from going wonky. I mean, what do we see? Who was it? Uh, (laughs) They took a timeout 17 seconds into a game. Uh, Was it Steve Kerr? It was Steve Kerr. He saw something. (laughs) He he saw a uh, was it Cousins on a backdoor or something for a dunk right in the beginning of a game? Timeout. That's never going to happen again. But I don't see that. I don't see the, like, stop the momentum or stop anything. We see Popovich, he takes timeouts anytime he feels like, oh, that's slipping a little bit. I mean, when you're down 16, it's one thing to go, oh, timeout. But when you're down six, 
and you can see that this could balloon into a 10-0 run or a 12-0 run, you got to call a timeout. Momentum is not something you can control, really, but it's something that you can see happening, and you can try to break it. And and I don't. That's something I need. I need more of. Well, speaking of micro moments, like that's a micro moment. That's a time when you see that you go in that snapshot. You could stop the action and say, okay, this thing we're doing right now, we can no longer do it. And there's a lot of different styles at play. You know, some coaches want to let it go. Some coaches want to nip it in the bud right there. Uh, but a consistency in explaining these things don't work and we need to do it this way, how that message is being communicated and received. Only the people in that locker room know. So it's, it's all, it's unfair to comment on, on how that's happening, but you can say from 30,000 feet above the ground that you're not seeing progress in that area. So it's fair to ask when will they show progress in those areas because it's absolutely right a bad offensive possession is the the worst defense that you can have you put yourself at yep disadvantage with numbers fast breaks uh everything that, that we've described and then some and, and it all comes down to leadership at the end of the day and you know you had rajon rondo in the news for his <laughs> comments about not being able to name three players from sacramento and you know, i can name three that year, are glad that he's gone <laughs> how about that Aaron? probably more than that but like the the question that i would so you put rondo into a position of leadership you know to advise cousin on on behavior and he got his 16th technical foul you know at the end of last year you know because of a uh, i don't know if you saw the movie men at work when, when we were younger um yeah. charlie Sheen, where they did the, the, charlie Sheen. yeah they did the, the, the clapping scene that was uh you know what got him his 16th tech oh yeah and that's not good. That's not, you know, the big issue with Cuz is to, to get all the other stuff out of his way so that the natural talent and, and the passion for the game can seep through and, and lead the way. And you've got Matt Barnes out there getting key technicals and, and saying to the press afterwards, well, you know, they're really bad calls. You know, it's not acceptable, but they're really bad calls. In Matt Do- and Matt Barnes' defense, I'm going to tell you this, in Matt Barnes' defense, He's never felt what it's like to be a Sacramento King until right now. <laughs> and and I, I'm saying this, I know it sounds funny, but it's it, there's two different times that I've seen him like look around like, holy cow, this is what it's like to be a Sacramento King. And I, I'm not being disrespectful to Sacramento Kings. He literally looked at the schedule and said, WTF, like, is this how it goes here? Like, really? This is the schedule you have to play here? I guess this is what happens when you're in the Sacramento Kings. This is the schedule you get. I mean, he's like, I'm used to playing the the Clippers schedule or the, the Memphis Grizzlies schedule. The other time is he literally realizes now, like, oh, like Jesus, the refs, the refs don't like us. And a lot of that is their, their fault. Well, that's the thing. This is a game. You know, you've got your LeBrons, you've got your your Draymond Greens, you've got your, you know, all the way down the line, you know, players handling refs a certain way. And it's a wild, wild west atmosphere. And so everybody's talking, everybody's, even Garrett Temple's talking to the refs. And there's uh, a game within the game that the Kings have lost and DeMarcus Cousins has lost with the referees. And now as a veteran, you have to be able to take a step back and say, 
okay, we're losing by 50 here in the ref game. So what do we have to do in order to cut our losses and try to climb back up this mountain? And getting technicals in key moments is not going to help DeMarcus see that this this stuff's got to end. DeMarcus almost has to pay a penalty at this point for having constantly been on them over and over and over again throughout the years. Yeah. And and he can say it's unfair that he's not officiated correctly because it's probably true. I see a lot of stuff. I'm like, dang, that's terrible. He said he has told me, though, repeatedly he has not gone off on an official with like a pro profanity lace tirade this entire season. He's like, I haven't done that. You can see that. The Westbrook, the Westbrook tech the other night. He's like, they totally started with me. He's like, I, I, he, I, I walk away. Cantor's starting it with me. He's talking a bunch of trash. I walk away. I go stand at the free throw line. I'm standing there for two seconds, and then Westbrook starts chiming in, and the ref says, I don't want to hear from either one of you, and DeMarcus says one word, and then boom, they both get hit with a double T. Because it's on the scouting report. Dude, that's an 11th tech. That's your 11th tech, man. You can't pick it's a, up the It's cheapies. on the scouting report. You cannot... It's a war out there, not to use the overused cliche, but like it's you cannot give your opponent anything. And opponents know that you just go right over to him and you start talking trash and you start taking cheap shots and you start. Yep. It's just on the scouting report. And the only way you're ever going to get out of that is if you don't say a dang word, if you just. Don't let it be a part of the game. That's never going to happen. Okay, so and, we well, got, there you go. We got to get to the end of this thing, uh, Aaron. Let, let's hit on one last topic. Uh, we did not get to last week, even though the podcast came out on Thursday. Uh, I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, we we got the information that uh, the Kings and Demarcus Cousins are are working. They're in advanced stages. I mean, from what I know, it's just like. Uh, they've got some things that each side would like to to have in the contract, but we're looking at a massive designated player five year extension for Demarcus Cousins. Uh, my initial numbers I had at two hundred nine; those were done off of a two thousand seventeen eighteen salary cap, which was incorrect because the the salary cap that it, the the contract extension will base off of is is the next year, the eighteen nineteen, I think. I think seventeen eighteen. 1819. Okay, whatever it was, I was off by a year. Uh, and so it's more like a $219 million extension from my math. Uh, what I was told when I was given the information that it was roughly like $225 million, But that's just, I mean, you've got to play within the parameters of the new salary cap as a designated player, which means Cousins gets 35% of the salary cap and 7.5% raises every year. Um, so anyway... Are you okay with DeMarcus Cousins getting that money? I, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, in here, I mean, look, none of these high-end guys are going to get what they're worth on the market. So if you can secure that, you just do it. And, you know, I think that you're going to – He's for all we talk about DeMarcus, he's got a good reputation in the league with other players. You know, they like him. They, they want to uh, – I, I don't know if, if I should say <laughs> they want to play with it. him. <laughs> I almost said it. But, you know, I. but it is interesting because – you know, you would think that there would be more guys that are like, you know, not so willing to cough up that he's the best big man in the league. And they do it almost somewhat defiantly like, hey, you idiots, he's the best big man in the league. That's Draymond kind of the tone. Said it. LeBron said it. Everyone they, says it. 
it's it's it, there's something to this where I think that Demarcus has won over some element of the player crowd, and that gives me hope. I think for attracting other free agents. If you're if you're a Kings fan looking at this, and I think that he would be just a spectacular number two for the Kings if you were to ever get a one to uh, come in and want to play alongside with him. And uh, you know, for that reason alone, because he's going to be underpaid no matter what because of his talent and if you can build around it and just get some distance between the fatal decisions of the past and and really just stop doing dysfunctional stuff if you're the kings you know you you, you got a, a year under your belt if, if you can pull this off this year without doing anything too crazy build off of that if they make the playoffs it's just such a boon for them um but as far as this decision in a vacuum yeah you do it it's a great asset and and i don't think there's even really any question about it yeah, I'm going to say this to people. The one question I've been asked repeatedly on Twitter is, does that cause the Kings to be like in massive financial trouble long term? And the answer is no, it does not. Because the new salary cap, yes, it's 35% of the cap. But when you're talking about 35% of $108 million or 35% of $120 million, that still leaves you so much room to work with. And the Kings haven't hamstrung themselves long-term. If there's anything they've done right, they didn't go do a Timothy Mozgov trade, a, a signing. They didn't go do a, uh, what's his name, um, Evan Turner signing or an Alan Crabb signing where you gave someone $20 million. And so, I mean, this is one of those deals where I think the Kings have put themselves in a position to really be in good shape financially and be able to sign DeMarcus to a deal like this because the other, I mean, the alternative is you got to find someone else and that's going to be next to, you know, impossible. You got to love the one you're with uh, a little bit in this situation because, you know, you aren't a a place where giant high-end A-list free agents are landing. Think about this. They got three positions, I think, locked up. I think that they've got – it's going to sound funny. I think they got point guard locked up unless Ty Lawson starts sniffing around other teams. I think between Lawson and Collison, you have a pretty good chance of convincing one of them to stay and play at what would be considered a probably team-friendly deal. Then you have Temple locking up the shooting guard spot. No questions asked. If, if you guys want to try to upgrade that spot, you're basically getting a worse player for more money. And so – that's not smart, but you got that spot locked up. I think you got your backup shooting guard spot. At least you got somebody in mind with Malachi. Um, and you can get a backup. And Bogdanovich, exactly. You got your backup point guard situation probably filled to some degree. You can draft for the future. You can go and get a cheap veteran if you're really concerned. But I think those two slots are locked up. And then you got your center spot locked up. Really, you just have to worry about small forward and power forward. And those are the areas that you throw money at. Everything else, you're on you're on a money ball plan. You're on an Isaiah Thomas plan, you know, where, where you, you pay a little bit of money and get somebody that's in the MVP discussion. Now look at this. While I just had to throw that out there. While we're while we're talking, <laughs> uh, Ricky Rubio is being shopped. That's I don't think that's a good oh thing. don't yeah, we've don't had do we've it. had that discussion before on the podcast. Do I think I, I've pulled back from the Ricky. I mean, because they realize they can't get any better. Um, okay, so Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? No, no, let's get these folks out of here. I'm sure they got other stuff to do. That's right. Okay, so my final thought is this. Um, Aaron doesn't get to hear this all the time, but I do. And uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna make sure Aaron hears it 
when I walk around the arena, which is constantly because I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off on most nights, people stop me all the time. And nine out of 10 times, the thing they say is, I love the podcast. And I, I just, I want Aaron to hear that because Aaron doesn't get to hear that. But I hear that all the time. People come to the set. They wave me over. They say, we love the podcast. I, I want to say thank you to all of you that, that say those nice things to us. Uh, I want to make sure that Aaron hears that because this does take a lot of our time. Uh, and, and it's not easy to fit in and to do the editing and to make sure we have a guest and all of these things. But uh, a, a heartfelt thank you for all of you out there. Uh, give us reviews. Give us reviews on on iTunes, and uh, you know you're always welcome to ask questions that maybe could make it to the podcast uh, via Twitter or Facebook. Um, but thank you to all of our loyal listeners. There's a large group of you. Uh, thousands of people listen to the the podcast every week, and we appreciate the feedback. So. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. We will see you next week.